<clears throat> now turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 as we continue in our study through the book of 1 Corinthians. And as we've been seeing in chapter 12, Paul is painting the picture of the church as the body of Christ. He basically creates an analogy or a metaphor for us whereby the way that God works in his people, he is comparing to the way that our body works with different members of the body, being different, having different roles, but working together in a coordinated way as each member does what it's supposed to do and, and then seeing um, you know, how it all comes together and allows us to function in a way that we can do the work of, of Jesus Christ and we can represent him as his body. So many important lessons. And as we saw last time, he says, you need to understand that you are important, you matter, there are things that God wants you to do. But he also says that in the same way that each person needs to accept who they are and do what God calls them to do, we also need to accept each other and realize that others have roles to play within the body. And so as we accept ourselves, accept each other, we see God work and it comes together and, and God gets the glory. He continues this discussion after, in verse 21, where he says, the eye can't say it doesn't have need of the hand and so on. But beginning with verse 22, he says, no, much rather, <coughs> those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor. And our unpresentable parts have greater modesty, but our presentable parts have no need. But God composed the body, having given great honor to that part which lacks it, that there should be no schism or division in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another." So he begins in verse 22 and says, the members of the body that seem to be weaker are still necessary. Parts of our body are strong. Parts of our body are capable of doing a lot of work. There are other parts of our body that are really fragile. And it would be easy for us to look at the parts of our body that are strong and put a great emphasis on them and to belittle the parts of our body that are weak and fragile, except for the fact that some of the most important parts of our body are also some of the most fragile parts of our body. And so he's making this observation and then he's going to connect it with the body of Christ. If you think about it, some of the parts of our body that are very weak what would we do without them? Now, as we get older, all the parts of our body become weak, and that becomes a great cause for consternation for us. But I don't care how strong you are, Mr. Universe, his little eardrum and those little tiny bones within the ear that cause the ear to function, they're really fragile. You can be as strong as anyone in this world, but if somebody comes up and pops you on the ears, they can break your eardrum and damage your hearing. And so God has placed your eardrum in a place where it's well protected because that weak part of your body is definitely necessary. Our eyes, our eyes are fragile. 
You can, if you just go out and look at the sun for a few seconds, you can burn your eyes and it'll take them a while before they work properly. I remember when I was a kid, I heard, oh, don't ever look at an arc welder while you're welding, but I had to see for myself. And, and I did see it for a short time, but then for about a week, I felt like I had had sand thrown in my eyes as the outside of my eyes were burned. And I only had to do it once to learn that the eye is fragile. The eye isn't something that, oh, it's not going to bother my eyes. I don't care how tough you are. Your eyes are sensitive. And our bodies are full of, of balances that are so fragile. They're full of, of elements that can be devastatingly damaging if they aren't functioning properly. And so Paul says, have you noticed how the weak parts of the body, as he says there in verse 22, they're necessary? It seems like those that are weaker are sometimes even more necessary than some of the stronger ones. You can have, your leg can be really strong, but even with a broken leg, you can still get by. Try to get by with, with other parts of your body that aren't functioning, and you realize, wow. I mean, little things can be such a source of annoyance and such a source of, of damage within my ability to be able to function the way I'm designed. Well, in the same way in the body of Christ, there are elements, members that may be weak, and yet, as Paul points out, they're necessary. Now, there are some people who are stronger than others, obviously. There are some people who seem to have the kind of temperament or the, the type of personality whereby, well, they're just kind of tough. You don't have to think about them too much. It's really hard to hurt their feelings. It's hard for them to be damaged. There are other people who we might say, they're so sensitive, they're overly sensitive. They're so weak. Paul talks about them earlier in the book when he talks about weaker brothers, those who seem to be able to be offended easier than those who might be stronger brothers. But now in talking about weakness, he said, it's still necessary. So how does this connect? How are weaker brothers necessary for the body? Well, for one thing, they help balance out who we are. Now, I know that there are certain things that I could say, for instance, as a pastor, that 90% of the people in the church would have no problem with it. In fact, they might think, boy, that was a great point. I'm glad I finally heard someone say that in that way. Or they might think, boy, is that funny what you said. But there are certain things that I don't say because though 90% of the people might think they're great, 10% of the people will be damaged by it. It'll hurt their feelings. It will be offensive to them. Now, I know you say, come on, Dave, every week you say something like that. <laughs> That's true, but I really don't try to. And it's actually, I'm thankful for those people within the body who take offense at some of the things that I say. Because as members of the body, that's a legitimate role to play. It helps me not go overboard. If you think I'm offensive now, imagine how offensive I could be if I didn't worry about people who have weak consciences or, or great sensitivity. See, weakness does that. 
It causes us to adjust and to balance and to temper the way that we present ourselves. And often it's a good thing. It's a, it's a helpful and a beneficial thing. But not only that, not only do the presence of, of weak people help us to be more sensitive to others, and that's important because a lot of people who are weak don't say anything. It's not just the people who write the letters about how offended they are. There are other people who get hurt by what we say, and they'll never tell us. And so weak people can help draw our attention to things that we might do that are damaging to the body, and, and it's important for us to hear that. But weakness also, even our own weaknesses, can help us to function in a way that is more how God would have us to be. My own weakness, it's, you know, it's, I wish I didn't have any weakness. I wish that everything about me was strong and that I was always just spot on in everything that I do and say. But the truth is, you know, I'm a flawed person. I make mistakes constantly. I, I do things that God wished I didn't do. I, I'm, a, I'm a weak person. And sometimes I hit my limit, and sometimes I go past my limit, and I find myself worn out or exhausted. But even those weaknesses that frustrate me often become the source of what God wants to do for several reasons. For one thing, my weaknesses certainly will prevent other people from putting me on a pedestal. Because the alternative to being weak and having people have their you know, reality kind of shattered by realizing that you're human. The alternative to that is to play games, to pretend. Most lies that we tell are really lies that we're telling to try to cover our weakness because we feel like people won't accept us as being weak and therefore we tell a lie in order to appear to be stronger than we are, more effective, more efficient than we are, whatever. But the truth is, because of what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross, our weakness is not a problem for him. Our failure doesn't derail him. In fact, as Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians, and as we'll get to it eventually when we study 2 Corinthians, Paul had a thorn in the flesh. We don't know what it was. It was a weakness of some sort. Some people have suggested that it was a physical problem because he calls it a thorn in the flesh. So perhaps it was his eyes. We know that his eyes had difficulty, and maybe that's what he was talking about. But he doesn't really tell what it is, doesn't give us much of a clue, and perhaps that was on purpose because then we can apply it to whatever our weakness is, whether it's a mental problem or a psychological problem or a physical ailment or you know something that our own sin causes in our lives. Whatever it was, Paul had this and. He asked God to deliver him from this thorn in the flesh. And he prayed three times, and God's response was not to deliver him from the thorn, but his response was to say, Paul, it's okay. My grace is enough for you. Because, he said, when you are weak, I can be strong. And God said to Paul, my strength is perfected in your weakness. The truth is, for all of us, God's strength has an opportunity to function in the middle of our weakness. 
And so as the body of Christ, even those weak things that we wish we didn't have to struggle with, even those areas of failure where we feel like, oh, I'm letting everyone down, I'm letting myself down, I'm letting God down, God says, it's okay. My grace is enough for whatever it is that's weak in you. And he says, actually, your weakness gives me a chance to work in a way that I wouldn't be able to otherwise. Your weakness can cause other people to be able to connect with you in ways that they couldn't otherwise. Your weakness doesn't threaten me at all, the Lord says. It's, to me, an opportunity. And so, as Paul says, hey, you have weak members, but they're valuable, they're important, they're okay. They don't disrupt what God wants to do at all. They're just opportunities for God. And so I can look at my life and say, oh, my weakness is frustrating me, but it doesn't frustrate God. And so, you know, the way the devil operates in our lives, he shows us our weakness, he makes us feel like failures because we don't measure up in the way that we'd like to, and so we feel like, I don't think God can use me. I don't think I fit within the body. I need to just give it up. Because God only uses strong people. God only uses those who walk in victory. Listen, the only way to walk in victory is to walk in the grace of God. And the truth is, there are some people who are really robbed of what God wants to do in their lives because they're so strong. They hang in there so long. They play the game so well. They're so polished and professional that they never get to the point where they're broken. They never get to the point where they discover weakness. And it's when we discover our weaknesses that we really come into the area of, of true strength. Because true strength isn't our strength, it's God's strength. And so again, as Paul says here, hey, members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. Those times when you feel weak, those things that happen, those areas of, of difficulty in your life, those challenges that you face and so often fall on your face in dealing with them, not a problem for God. Jesus died for those weaknesses, and he brings to the table his strength in order to deal with our weaknesses. But now as we read on, in verse 23, he says, those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor and our unpresentable parts have greater modesty. Now he's talking about the parts of the body that we would say, oh, that's not something I'm proud of. That's not something that's attractive. That's not something that I would put forth as being my better side. But he said, actually, those parts of your body that you really don't want anyone to see, he says, those parts of your body, you actually do give them a lot of attention. You do try to take care of them, or at least you have the decency to cover them up so that other people won't see them. The most important parts of your body, the most critical functioning parts of your body are parts that are hidden within your body. And the outward parts of your body that are probably most important are the parts that no one sees. They're, they're covered up. And so he says, even those things that aren't, you don't glory in about your body, you don't say, man, I'll tell you what, 
I have the best-looking liver you've ever seen. I'm so proud of my lung, my left lung especially. You, know, you don't do that, but he goes, it's all covered up and taken care of. But as he goes on, our presentable parts, those parts that we allow everyone to see, they don't have a need. They're not that important. And so as a result, God put the body together, having given greater honor to the part which lacks it. So those parts of us that are really unimportant, God goes, but that's window dressing, and it's okay. You can show that to people. They can appreciate it. There are parts of our body, let's face it, that people see, and you might feel like, hey, I'm pretty, I have a pretty nice nose. You know, I look at my nose, and I'm like, that's pretty good. It's a nose. What do you even need it for? You know, well, you know, you breathe through, you breathe through your mouth. Come on, you, you could probably do without your nose. Certainly, if you just had two holes in your face, you know, like a pig does, it would work fine. But here we have this thing, and, you know, you might go, oh, my nose is ugly. Well, you could fix it if you want, really. You could do that. But, but we look at a nose, and we compare them, and, and God allows us to look at some people's nose and go, that's a cute nose. I like that nose. At the very least, someone will look at your nose and go, well, that's a nose you don't forget. <laughs> You think of the ears. We need to hear, but you don't need all this stuff on the outside. You can cut all this off. Your ear still works. And it's just, it's kind of funny, but it's there. How would you wear glasses without it? That would be difficult, you know? But people go, oh, my ears stick out. They're so ugly. And oh, but, I, but they're just decoration. You don't have to cover them up, really. You can adorn them if you want, pierce them and hang things from them and whatever and go, look at my ears. You know, you're not, now if you don't like your ears, you could grow hair over your ears and then people don't have to see them. But if you have great ears, oh, by all means, call attention to them with, with jewelry, you know, and that would be great. And, you know, you have things like hair. I mean, hair is one of the most worthless things on the body. And yet, if someone has nice hair, you're like, wow, look at that hair. If someone doesn't have hair, you go, Oh, what a shame. That's, you know, that's too bad. But why? It doesn't do you any good. Now, why is it that when I started losing my hair, I felt traumatized? I'm losing my hair. I start to investigate all of the things that might prevent that from happening. It's, it's just hair. And besides that, when it stopped growing on my head, it just started increasingly growing other places. And, you know, I, I don't go, man, look, when I was in Cambodia, I'm, I didn't have really good mirrors for a few days. And then I'm in a little nicer hotel and I look in the mirror and I go, oh my goodness, I, this hair's growing out of my nose. Where, where did that come from? And I'm buzzing it off. Why didn't somebody tell me, hey, you're growing a beard from your nose, but... I don't go, oh, hair, it's so nice, you know. Or, I mean, I guess I could get it transplanted from inside my nose to on top of my head, but what is it that when I look at someone with nice hair and I go, hey, nice hair, it's useless. But that's kind of the way the body is. It's funny. But the truth is we really know deep down inside those parts inside of us are way more important than the stuff outside of us. Now again, you can, you can replace whatever you don't like about the outside. If you want to make yourself over, and I was looking at this and thinking, 
what are the most valuable parts of the body? So I was checking, and, you know, if you want to change your nose, you can get it fixed for about four or $5,000. You can probably get insurance to pay for it if you just act like you're having a hard time breathing and then say, yeah, while you're correcting my deviated septum, can you make it look like Michael Jackson? And they'll do it for you. I don't know why, but, you know, they'll make your nose look like whatever you want it to look like for a few thousand bucks. If you, if you look at your teeth and go, yeah, they chew food just fine, but you know, they're not as white and shiny as the people on TV, you can get those porcelain veneers put on your front teeth for you know, a little under $1,000 a tooth, so you get six teeth on the top, six on the bottom. You know, for about 10000 bucks, you could probably get a nice shiny set of teeth. Now, if you're traumatized by the loss of hair, they can replace your hair completely. They're doing implants pretty good now, and for about 15000 bucks, a bald guy can get a full head of hair added. Or if you just want to buy one and stick it on with the hair club for men, about 1500 bucks, and then you have to go in for regular maintenance on your hair. But it, it, it can be done. Now, if that sounds... Now, by the way, if you're feeling like, oh, I'm so fat, you, can just, you don't have to die. It's just liposuction. It'll, you know, they can, for, again, like I think it was between four and $7,000, you can go lose a bunch of fat. They can even take it out of one place and put it in another place if you really want them to do that. It's, it's great. So now that might sound like a lot of money to you, but try getting a, a liver transplant. Liver transplant costs between three and $400,000. Heart transplant, over a quarter of a million dollars. See, all of the little outward things that we might try to fix are cheap compared to the parts that really matter most. And those are all protected and covered up and they're functioning behind the scenes. You don't say, hey, you know, when you do that heart transplant, instead of stitching me up, could you just put Velcro in? Because I want people to see everyone. <laughs> look at this. You ever see a heart? Like, heart doesn't look good. It's not attractive. You know, if, if you want to romance somebody on Valentine's Day, don't send them a card with a picture of a real heart on it. It's gross. But boy, is it necessary. And if the heart stops working, you know really quick. Believe me, you think you're traumatized by going bald? Let your heart stop for a couple seconds and see what it does to you. And that's what Paul is saying. He's going, look, this is the way it works. The most important parts of your body are the parts that are protected and you don't see them. But they're functioning and doing their job. And then he says the parts of the body that are less important, God makes people think that they're attractive, he puts them out there and goes, okay, go ahead and look at that nose, look at those ears, check out that head of hair. And the, the analogy to the body of Christ is so obvious. He's saying, within the body of Christ, there are a whole lot of different people who are called to do different things. But he says, don't be so foolish as to believe that those that are up front and obvious are the most important ones. And the ones that are functioning behind the scenes are the ones that are disposable and don't really matter. You know, do you think, well, I got two lungs. I could get by with one, no problem. No, hey, if one of your lungs doesn't show up and it collapses, you know. 
And so in the same way, when people within the body of Christ don't do what God has called them to do, when we decide to just check out of the body, when we decide, well, what I do, no one notices it, so it's not going to matter. Yeah, maybe they don't notice it at first, but it's probably something much more important than the things that people are noticing. As a pastor of this church, I am trying to do what God has called me to do. I'm just trying to be faithful in doing that. But the truth is, what I, I am far from being the most important person in this church. I may be the least important person in this church. And you go, what do you mean? I mean, you're up front. Yeah, like a head of hair, but it doesn't matter. If I, if I wasn't here, somebody else would come and, and do that. You could bring in guest speakers to cover for me. Shoot, you could put a satellite dish on the roof and beam Greg Laurie here, and you'd have probably a better service every week than we have now. More people would come. And it would be like, hey, I'm disposable compared to when all of a sudden somebody doesn't show up to do sound or those people back in the booth who are doing the video, putting the song lyrics up here. Man, you talk about something not functioning, you notice right away. I could preach a bad sermon and most people don't know theology well enough to know I messed up. But when all of a sudden the sound is going, everybody knows. (laughs) It's like, ah, what are we going to do? When all of a sudden somebody doesn't set up the chairs and you're sitting on the floor, you're standing up during church because the ushers didn't show up, hey, do you think you'd notice? It would be like, it wouldn't, it would be a lot worse than just, oh, we have a guest speaker today. Bummer. Hey, we don't have a chair today. There's no lights. I can't see. There's no parking lot. I can't, there's no donuts. Ah. But see, The body of Christ is that way, just like our physical body. The people who teach children's ministry, the people who are over there making the CDs and putting the labels on them so that you can take the message and and listen to it at a better time when you're not, you know, so preoccupied or give it to somebody else or you missed, you know, last week's and you picked that up or whatever. Hey, every one of those people, every one of you are important. Maybe you haven't found exactly what you're supposed to do, what your gift is, or what your role in the body is, but understand this, it is critical, it is important, and if any of us doesn't do what God has called us to do, it matters. You know, if you just think of a simple thing, like if all of a sudden we just don't give money to a you know, a ministry over in Cambodia and some little girl who has no hope at all, who's living a horrible life. Now, there isn't anybody there to love her and to tell her that she matters or that Jesus loves her. Seems like not a big deal. Throw a few bucks in the offering plate. Man, I wish I could do more. Hey, you do what God gives you to do and it fits and it works and it matters and it's important. And not one of us can afford to check out or to not show up. Not one of us can take our role lightly within the body. Because again, yeah, there are certain people who get attention. There are certain people who are up front. But you know what the Bible teaches is, for instance, I get up here and I do what I do. And afterwards, people line up to tell me how good it was, and that's my reward. That's it. I don't expect when I go to heaven for God to say, Dave, you preached. You did a good job. Here's your reward. He's going to go, you got rewarded. 
And that's why for me, I look for other ways to make a difference that people don't know about. I try to find things to do that I can do anonymously or that are extra because I want to be rewarded when I get to heaven. But when we do what we do and people don't reward us and we don't get the attention, the Bible teaches that we will be rewarded. We will be called attention to us in a way. So instead of focusing on the attention that we get now, our attitude should be, I'm thankful that I can do things that people don't notice now because God's going to take care of me later and he's going to reward me and that's for real. And we are all members of the body. We are all necessary to what God wants to do. We are all a part of that. And when we find our place, when we discover our role, whatever it is, uh, you know, you might go, oh, oh, I guess all I can do is just pray for the church, so I do that. What if you don't pray? The Bible says you have not because you ask not. So God does something great, and you were praying for it? Do you understand that maybe if you didn't pray, he wouldn't have done it? That might sound ridiculous to you. You hear we come back from a missions trip and we're like, thanks for praying because God did great things. Well, if you hadn't prayed, would it have made a difference? You better believe it would have made a difference. And it's the devil who wants to tell us you don't matter. You don't make it. Oh, you, all you have is a little part. Hey, people who are up front, people who are getting attention, they're the noses and the earlobes and the hair. <laughs> that's, not, that's not ministry. Ministry is people who go, here I am thumping away as a part of the body. Here I am serving in the way that God has called me to serve. Now again, I'm not belittling what I get to do. God's called me to do it. I'm thankful for it. And I will try to do it faithfully as unto him. But if you start thinking that ministry is all about being up front, it's not at all. Any more than the body is about hair. Hey, if you have hair, great. That's nice. Many of you have nice hair, and I appreciate it very much when I see it. So if you have it, great. But believe me, your body needs to do a whole lot more than grow hair if it's going to function. And the body of Christ needs to do a whole lot more than just like what I do here on Sunday, if it's going to be what it's designed to be. And each one of us has a role in that. Each one of us is, is a member, an organ, a, a part of what God wants to do. And when we do what we are called to do faithfully, what happens? Well, as he says here, the reason it's put together that way is, verse 25, that there should be no schism or division in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. When we all do what God's called us to do, then there's no division. There's no, oh, let's get these people against those people. Let's pick sides and, and I'm against you and you're against me and we're having a... No, when we aren't caring for each other, when we become divided, all it is is an indication that we've lost sight of what we are called to do. That now, all of a sudden, I care more about what people think of me, and I care more of what my role is than I do about allowing other people to do what they are called to do. But when we all do that and work together and realize that 
to avoid division and to care about each other. That's what it's all about. When we see that happening, then the prayer of Jesus is answered as he prayed, Lord, Father, make them one as we are. The unity that comes when God's people can work together comes because each person realizes, wow, I matter. There's something that God has called me to do, and I get to do it. And there are other people who are doing what God has given them to do, and I, and I rejoice in that, and I glory in that, and I'm so glad I'm a part of what God is doing in his body. It's so good that we can be together and work together for the glory of God. And that's his ultimate goal. That's his ultimate heart for us. That there's no division, that there's no bickering and fighting and ripping apart because we all know we have our part to play and we're happy just being who we are, being who God has made us and we're also happy to let other people just do what they are called to do in the way that God shows them to do it. Accepting each other, accepting ourselves, working together for the glory of God. That's the body of Christ. The weak parts, really necessary. The anonymous parts, critical. The other parts, okay, window dressing, that's fine too. That's what you are. If you're one of the beautiful people, great. Congratulations. But we're all beautiful people to him when we do what we were designed to do. Let's pray. Lord, thanks for your word. It encourages us because, boy, the world lies to us. We lie to ourselves, and the devil lies to us, and we sometimes think maybe we don't matter. Maybe you don't have anything big for us. As if there's anything big. The big stuff is the least important stuff. It's the little stuff that matters most to you and to your body. So Lord, help us to find our place in your body. Help us to faithfully do what you've called us to do, and then celebrate being a part of something that's so much bigger than we are. Lord, thanks for calling each of us to be your people, to be a part of your family, to be members of your team and your body. God, it's all about you. And everything that we have, we have from your grace. And so we give you all the praise and the glory and the credit for who you've made us. Thank you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.